Welcome back to episode 25 of Conversations. In this episode, Carrie Douglas and I talk about the next chapter from the book Onward by Elena Aguilar. In this episode, we talk about chapter highlights like using inquiry and professional learning to recharge and reinvest in yourself, the implications of a conscious competence ladder, minding the learning gap, and a little about time management. Here's our conversation now. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Monica. Welcome back to another episode of Conversations. I'm glad we get to talk about Onward again as we head into Chapter 9 of Elena Aguilar's book, Onward. Are you excited about this one? I am excited. It's all about learning, which is kind of our jam. It is our jam being the professional learning department. So seeing <laughs> our colleague Sam today, but we're going to forge ahead so we can get this episode released on time and ready for the people. So for everyone listening, if you do or do not own the book, this chapter was called Be a Learner. And uh, we are recording on cell phones. So bear with us for any um, technology noises that you hear or what have you. So let's get into this. So this chapter Carrie and I kind of talked about is a little bit all over the place in terms of like learning, understanding the learning journey and how the brain works, fixed versus growth mindset, minding the gap and identifying learner needs, especially in the role of when you're coaching someone. And then she does have a really good chart about defining gaps when coaching someone and then talks about how gaps can show up in teaching and then the hierarchy of those and frameworks to um, tackle those. And then kind of wraps up with how sad Sundays can have a negative effect on people, uh, you know, gearing up for the Monday and the rest of the week and how keeping a time log can, can keep people to managing their time more effectively. So that's kind of just a brief rundown of what this chapter is about. Because uh, Get Your Learn On can be really uh, broad, although the chapter is officially called Be a Learner. So we'll go right into our first point to make. And the author really talks about how her first year of teaching was not her hardest. It was her sixth. And she reached a point where she didn't really know how to keep improving as a teacher and was feeling very demoralized in her classroom and the way she was teaching. And she found her way back to growth when a special instructional coach introduced her to Classroom Inquiry, also known as Action Research, for those of y'all that are familiar with it. And so, Carrie, just as we carry this conversation to the first point, uh, when thinking about a time that you felt stuck in your career, how did you use Inquiry and or professional learning to kind of recharge and reinvest in yourself and teaching? Well, the first thing that came to mind for me was um, the second year that I was department chair uh, in at an intermediate school, um, I felt like as a whole, like the department was just kind of stagnant. We were all kind of just like doing our thing. We hadn't tried anything new lately. Um, we just weren't quite having as much fun as I thought we should be. And so um, we were just kind of going through the motions. So I started looking for books um, that maybe could add a spark, give us some motivation, kind of get us back into the, the love of teaching. And I found the Teach Like a Pirate book that fall. Um, and I read the whole book in like less than two hours. It was 
amazing. And I called my principal immediately and was like, I need you to buy 16 copies of this. I'm doing a book study at every department meeting for the next eight weeks. We're all doing this together. And so we ended up going through the book. We dressed up like pirates. We made t-shirts. Um, we had a website going. We even called the author on like a Skype for our last meeting and had like a question and answer session with him. Um, and I would say that really revived us as teachers just because we were learning together we were collaborating um, we were trying new things and i just think learning something new just always gives me life <laughs> and i think most teachers are like that but sometimes we have to go out and and do it for ourselves it's not just going to fall in our lap um, so we kind of have to be creative sometimes and look for things that you know that are out there in the form of books or online courses or something that's not just always traditional PD, even though that can be um, a catalyst as well. But I think just having that camaraderie and having a common goal um, together as learners helped kind of push us back into back into our, you know, fun, fun, loving teaching selves. So. Well, I just want the listeners to know that Carrie Douglas is a book study connoisseur. <laughs> and professional and this girl knows how to run a book study hence why she's on this onward series because she knows how to dissect and, and have those conversations and i like you touched on so many on um, so many points there I mean, it's funny that she said her sixth year was her hardest because i would say my mm -hmm. fifth year was my hardest um or maybe it wasn't my fifth i don't know maybe it was my fourth it doesn't matter i was like 25 or 26 so young and I just remember thinking that year, I just had a really hard fifth period. Like it was just one period, but if you've ever taught secondary, it just takes one period from <laughs> that's very challenging to really test like what you're doing. And I've always wanted to be a teacher since I was in fourth grade. So for it to test me and for me to think like, what am I doing? Because this, it was so weird. This group of teenage boys, like literally I think they came to class every day to try to make my life challenging but it was funny because on downtime in the class, they would all pull up chairs next to my desk and like talk to me regularly. You know, it's like, it was a strange dynamic, but I just remember thinking like, it was such a frustrating year, <clears throat> excuse me. And, and hearing you being vibrate, like, you know, revitalized after this book study, I think I'm probably in a poor example of what happened when I didn't have anything to revitalize me. And I honestly, I don't even know what got me through the year, except that the year maybe was over. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Sometimes about just have all, those years. Yeah, but I will say too, you know, I was a speech teacher at that time and electives are, you know, usually pretty small teams are not these big teams like ELA and things like that. And, you know, everyone's going in different directions. I was coaching an athletic sport. The other two were coaching. And so maybe like that was just the thing. We didn't really like dive into it. But I think just even hearing your pirate study, it just makes me feel like, yes, that's my jam. I would have probably gotten out of that rut quicker. And thankfully, and obviously I stayed in education. This is my 13th year, but I think you're right. Like people just want to feel like they belong. They want to feel like they're learning something new. And like, anytime I get into something new, especially like a book, like right now I'm reading this brain research, children and their behaviors and how they're really connected to emotions instead of decisions and yada, yada. And I can't get enough of it. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like what else can I read? And so when you're talking about this pirate thing, I'm like, yes, Carrie, I wish I was on that. I wish I was in that group. So, okay. So Elena talks about Elena Aguilar, the author, not a friend, wish she was, um, talks about the conscious competence ladder. 
And she talks about it being a way to reflect on the stages of learning. So in this framework, there are four stages that we can progress through as learners. And just briefly for people to listen, there's an unconscious competence. It's at the top of the ladder. And it's really like, I like how she explains it. It's where you're like blissfully ignorant about your skills, competence, abilities, and you're just, you don't even know that you don't have a skill or need to learn it. And then underneath that on the ladder is conscious incompetence. And it's where we don't, where we know we don't have the skill we're trying to acquire. So before you're blissfully ignorant, this one, you're starting to know, okay, there's a skill and I don't have it. And it is a time where there could be a struggle and we could lose confidence at that stage. And then underneath that one is conscious competence. And on this one, we know we have the skills we have worked to attain and we put our knowledge and skills into regular practice. And this is really where people are gaining confidence in the learning process. And then the last one is unconscious incompetence. And at this level, we don't know that we have the skills and we use our new skills effortlessly and perform tasks without conscious effort. So what do you think, Carrie, that the implications are of this framework for teacher leaders and campus leaders? Well, one thing I was thinking about when I was kind of looking and reading through this and looking at the ladder was I would think that this would have been really great to have mm -hmm. as an instructional specialist. Mm -hmm. Um, on campus when you're coaching teachers, but also just as like a teacher when I'm goal setting like for the year, because seeing the different like steps and if I were to like reflect and be like, okay, the, my goal is to do this by the end of the year, or acquire this skill. Right now I'm in this level, you know, of learning and just knowing kind of where you're starting from, because you may not always start at the bottom of the ladder. You may be may just be a skill that you're wanting to refine and so you may be somewhere in the middle of the ladder um, but just kind of identifying your stage I think is really powerful because a lot of times teachers see goal setting as something very abstract and something that they don't really know how to tackle or um, you know they don't know how to support the goals that they're trying to achieve and so just having this as a guide to like okay there's these are the steps I'm, steps I'm going to take to, you know, climb up the ladder to get to the next step, um, I think would be really helpful. And I like how she suggests um, different things that school leaders can do, yeah. like for teachers who are in each stage. I think, I think my favorite one was actually about the unconscious competence. <laughs> These words are hard to say yeah. really fast together. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's like the top where we're like performing and we are, we, we're great, we, we're good. But then she talks about making sure that um, those people don't get complacent um, in where they are and to encourage them to teach others. And, and I like, and then that was like my favorite suggestion for that. Cause I know that, you know, you reach a point kind of like, you know, we talked about in the first um, discussion that you kind of feel like, well, what else can I do? I feel like I've learned so much and I'm rocking and rolling. And then some people kind of get complacent about it and, and don't keep pushing um, for goals and for growth. So those are the kind of the things that came to mind when I, when I read this section. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. I think for me too, the emphasis on when she says emotions accompany our learning experiences. And I think back to when I was in the classroom and again, taught secondary that 20,000 times at this point on this podcast, but just for any new listeners. And I, it's easy to get wrapped up in the content or like 
the to-do list or even the fun or like other things and, and remembering it's important to remember that there's emotions in learning. And then when I thought about that, that's why I like this ladder. It highlights all the different stages and the emotions and how they are affecting the learning. And then I thought as leaders and even current teachers, you know, we're, we're central office administrators, but you know, it's easy to forget the learning process. And that's why I like truly enjoy learning something new at this age, even if it has nothing to do with anything, because it reminds you for me, like, I'll never forget the first time I tried to knit <laughs> with <laughs> adorable, like crafting store, like in downtown Houston. And I get in there and I'm like ready to knit. It's like a two or three hour lesson. It was like a group of us. This is like literally 10 years ago at this point. And it was so frustrating, like just to go through the process of like learning something new, not being good at it. Mm -hmm. And like just wanting the finished product. And it's such a good reminder as adults for us to get into things outside of our careers that push us to where we're new at it, you know, because then you, you go mm -hmm. to those different stages. And I literally probably produced Carrie. I'm not kidding. A four <laughs> by four inch. And I thought I was like ready to <laughs> in an Etsy store. <laughs> okay. One more example. This one's such a good one. Back in the day, Katie Mills mall. And I say back in the day, this is probably like six years ago. Katie Mills had a Segway park. Have you heard of this? Um, no. This is crazy and the most fun, genius idea ever. In fact, I'm going to Google it while we're talking. So they had this park where you get on Segways and you ride them around on these, like, they do. It's still open. Oh, my gosh. It's called Segway Outback. It's in Katy, Texas, if you're listening to this. But basically, they have, like, all these obstacles, all the things. Well, none of us have, like like ridden segways before so like when my husband and I first went there we felt so dumb like you're putting on these helmets you don't you're going so slow like you look like what are these people doing well we went back a second time and like we're like cruising around like knocking cones over racing each other and it's just like it's such a like lame example but I'll never forget feeling so, so accomplished on this segway at the segway park like when we started, we're going literally as slow as a snail. And by the end, we're racing each other on these obstacles. Like, I'm so happy they're still open because I hope everybody goes there sometime. It's so fun. Like, we're <laughs> going to do that for team building. But I just yes. now. And if you know me, that's right on par. Okay, so that's a squirrel. Let's go back to talking about when she starts talking about minding. The well, let me make it full circle. So all that to say, I like that her competence and incompetence ladder really shows the different stages and it's just important to remind yourself what your kids are going through when you're teaching them about a thesis in a paper or about quadratic <laughs> formula equations yeah <laughs> okay what do people in math do non-math teachers it, it, yeah you forget about like how frustrating it can be to learn something new and I just think it's really important as adults that we are constantly tapping into that so we can always be empathetic to the emotions our kids are having okay Let's get back on track, Carrie. Stop getting off track. Okay, finding the gap. Okay. <laughs> it's a concept that she talks about that allows learners to understand where they are and the knowledge base lacking. And so the author says to mind or pay attention to the space between desired abilities and current abilities. And this can give us specific targets and focal points to where we can start professional growth, professional learning, et cetera. And so she sets this up as three-level pyramid. And the foundation is cultural competence and emotional intelligence, which I am here for. The next level mm -hmm. is capacity and will. And the top level is skill and knowledge. So what insights did this model bring up for you and your experience as an educator? 
So I like how she talked about how some of the gaps can be interconnected. Mm-hmm. So it might not just be one thing you're struggling with. There might be a couple different things, whereas maybe you were just paying attention to to one part of it um, or to one part of the pyramid. So I kind of like that. And she did talk about how, you know, different um, parts of the pyramid affect other parts. So it's all it's all interconnected. And, and I like that she acknowledged that because it's not always just one thing that we need to um, work on or we need to grow. Um, but she's so right about having the cultural competence and the emotional intelligence as the foundation for growth and learning. Um, I think we have experienced this very much in the pandemic over the past year, but you know, we keep talking about those, like we need to take care of the Maslow's uh, chart before we get to the Bloom's Pyramid um, because emotional well-being and, and cultural relevancy and cultural responsiveness are just so important in order to build capacity and will and then build knowledge and skill you have to start there Um, I do think that's those are two positive things that have come out of uh, 2020 in this global pandemic is I think that those two things have been pushed to the forefront um, of our culture and people are talking at least about them more so than I think we have in years past um, when it comes to uh, you know, social, emotional, well-being, mental, mental health, um, you know, cultural responsiveness. So I think we're at least stepping and moving in the right direction um, in education, that we're putting uh, more emphasis on that. But I do think it's interesting that she points out that most of our professional, like official professional learning deals with the top level, the knowledge and skill, instead of starting with the bottom, which I'm glad now that we're doing this book study and these podcasts and the trainings that we're doing um, about this book, because this is all about emotional intelligence um, and and um, resiliency. So I'm glad that we're contributing to the, the foundation of the pyramid. I just think for sure, like you were talking about um, with the competency ladder, this needs to be applied to kids in our classrooms as well, not just adult professional learning. Yeah, the the new and I'm sorry for the loud bang. I was looking for a book that I'm going to talk about in this conversation. And so it reminds me of so if you have a pen and paper, you need to write this other book down. It's called The Permission to Feel by Mark Brackett. Mm-hmm. He's the director at the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence, also a professor for the Yale Child Study Center. But it also got, kind of goes along with this of like teaching kids and putting emotional intelligence in the classroom and the focus of this, I don't even know what she calls a pyramid. I love Mm -hmm. it for so many reasons, because I think a lot of times when kids struggle or adults struggle, even professionally, I think a lot of times it's easy to default to the skill and the knowledge level when, sorry, (laughs) Um, we're at home recording this one. Uh, But I think the capacity And the other ones on there are a lot of times not talked about. And I like that she Mm -hmm. puts on there like that will and cultural competence and emotional intelligence are other reasons why someone could not be learning and, and how, like how coaches can also use this with adults. Because again, I just think a lot of times it's like, oh, well, they're just, they're not capable of doing it or they don't have the knowledge. And it's like, well, there's a lot of other things. What if they don't have the capacity? I like the example that she used and I've got to find it now, but yeah, how- I was going to bring that up too. Yeah. Where is it? I'm trying about, 
it's on page 231, which talks about the teacher who was having like classroom management issues. Yeah. And then she's like, keeps modeling it for it and it's not working. And it's like, oh, I, I resonated with that as a former campus administrator. It's like, you keep doing it, keep doing it. Like, why is this not working? And I like so badly wish I had this pyramid to make me think outside the box of like, okay, you can't keep modeling and telling this person how to have classroom management working with them because in the end for this teacher that she was coaching, it was confidence confidence was the mm -hmm. issue and she kept getting to the bottom it finally just asked her like why do you think this is a problem and so uh, I love this pyramid because it kind of opens the door to there's more possibilities of why there's a gap instead of just the obvious ones that are usually the default all right last question so the author gives some tips at the end of the chapter about how to better manage time, which I'm sure everyone listening does already so well. Um, but which suggestions are you using now that you're working for that are working for you and which ones could you possibly use in the future? Okay. So right now I am focusing on, and this is funny that it came up because I was actually working on this confronting the planning fallacy <laughs> it says in the book that we have a tendency to underestimate the amount of time it takes to complete a task, but overestimate the time you have left to finish it. <laughs> so um, in this position, the weekly Trello boards that we use in our weekly reports that we do um, are really helping me to kind of plan with a better timeline in mind. Like I know now some of the some of the tasks that I'm going to be asked to do, um, even if it's a different topic, some of them are similar. So I know, okay, last time it, I thought it was going to take me two days to finish this project, but really it took three. Um, so I can plan better and I can make sure that I'm, I'm using my calendar and, and keeping in line with, with what's happening. So I'm using my, my time better. I want to, in the future, soon, near future, um, <laughs> she talks about focusing uh, mechanisms. And so having some, like she talked about, put she would put her phone on do not disturb and set a timer for 45 minutes and like nothing else could interrupt what she was doing for 45 minutes, which is super hard in this job <laughs> because there's email and phone calls and things going on all the time. Um, and I know that there's, you and I have talked before about like the Pomodoro technique. Is that what it's called? Yep. Where, okay, where it's kind of similar, you set a timer for so long, then, you know, you take your five, 10 minute break, and then you come back and work again. So um, I think that's something that I should probably try because the next one tells me to stop multitasking. And I do that a lot. So um, those two together can maybe help me stop multitasking and, and focus a little more. So yeah, I just this has become like, like, a, a I would say a baby passion topic for me lately, like I would say this school year specifically, I think, with the leadership development content that I've been able to dive into this school year now that we've uh, kind of acquired the, not kind of, we have acquired the leadership development in our mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so this is like, all of this spoke to me because I feel like we can always be more efficient. And like, as somebody who identifies with a type A mentality, you know, <laughs> as a teacher, there's an even, I could have done this as a teacher too, but like, even on a campus, like your day is seven periods a day. There's no breaking of that schedule like that is what you do every single day and like if you teach it for first period you're probably going to teach it for the other periods I mean there was a year I had four preps but you know what I'm saying so it's like usually yeah. but when you get to a central office or a job that's a little more fluid you get to kind of control your schedule it becomes this like never even as an administrator on campus I'll never forget my first year as an AP I'm like okay I'm going to finish my to-do list and like once I resolved I will not finish my to-do list more than likely each day 
and that this is going to be an ongoing to-do list, I found a little bit more sanity because before I became an administrator on campus, I was like a scratch off girl. Like, okay, I'm going to finish mm-hmm. my to-do list. can be all scratched off. And then I'm going to go home and eat dinner. And it's going to be great. And then it's like the more responsibility there was. And I realized, oh, that's not a reality. And that's not working for my brain. And so I'm glad you brought up Trello because for those of you that don't know what that is, it's basically a Kanban board. And if you Google Kanban, it's like managing your to-do list in a to-do, doing, and done format. And Trello, which is T-R-E-L-L-O, is a free service. They do have paid options. Um, and basically, it, 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 you can create boards and put cards on them. And the cards are like the to-do list items. And so what Carrie was saying is we do use that for project management. As a leader, for me, it's really nice to be able to see what everyone's working on with having the email and and be like, hey, so what are you working on today? And it's like so tedious. Instead, when people have a responsibility to tag to someone, you can like put all the different documents in there. All that to say, I did actually start a Trello board for my to-do list in the last month, and it's helped significantly because what was happening was I was putting my to-do list down on this legal pad. It was cute. It had flowers on it, but not the point. And I'm like staring at this like scribbled list every day, stressing myself out, like trying to pick out on that paper what was important, what needed to be done, what was coming up. And then in my usage of Trello, I can attach due dates. It colors at different colors when the due date's getting closer. I can manage, I could divide them by projects and it just was more manageable for me. And I've tried a ton of to-do list um, structures in the last, you know, five years of administration. Mm -hmm. So I would say that one spoke to me about making to-do lists, but I would add making to-do lists intentionally, like finding something different than just writing it down. Unless like your to-do list isn't overly maximized and that could probably work. But the problem is when you have multiple balls in the air, it's like when you're trying to juggle all of that, you've got to be able to figure out which one is the one you do not want to drop the the soonest. Um, Mm -hmm. I also liked what you were saying, but like how she just, just further verifies that you have to pause and reflect and you can't just work straight through. And that's speaking to teachers too on the weekends. If you're like just working five hours in a row to pump it out, like you have to take a break. And then I love that she even extends it more to like kids also need a break. Mm -hmm. And that always sticks out to me that this principal on Twitter decided to go do a seven period day. And he's like, I was sitting the whole day. It was horrible. He's like, Mm -hmm. I'm so bored to death. And I've never forgotten that. That was probably like two or three years ago now. I've never forgotten that tweet because it reminded me that like, yeah, these, some of these kids are literally just sitting there all day and just being, you know, they're probably bored to death. Like, let's give them a break. Let's get them outside. Let's do different things, but then also for the adults as well. Yeah. And I do want to add one more thing Um, in the manage your energy section. I really liked the, she said to get the hardest stuff done first. Yeah. Because I think that's kind of like the opposite of what we do. We're kind of like, all right, let me knock out these like three easy things and then I'll get to the hard thing when really we're most focused, you know, in the morning, first thing while we're fresh, we've had our, you know, our breakfast and our coffee, we're ready to go. And a lot of times I do that in the opposite direction. And I, and I realized I was doing that with my um, grad school homework. (laughs) When I read this chapter, like I would always like, okay, this is an easy, like discussion board. Let me get that done first. Okay. This reading is pretty easy. And then I was like, all right, let me write my paper now. Really, I should be writing my paper first. Yeah. I just started my learning yeah. and I'm fresh and I'm ready for it. And then do the, you know, less difficult tasks when I'm finished with that. So that kind of like put a light bulb off in my head that I need to make sure I focus on that more. Well, it's funny you say that because I'm not in school anymore, but I remember doing the same thing. And then it's like, 
you have a 10 page paper left. And I'm like, no, (laughs) and it's funny too, because she says celebrate the small wins. And like, for those of us that are very work driven, like sometimes it's hard for me to like, I don't have time for that. You know, it's what I initially think, but Mm -hmm. then she's like, this is so cheesy and I'm here for it. She's like, take 10 seconds, close your eyes and tell yourself what a good job you're doing and how focused you are. And you know what? I'm here for it. In a meditation age where I've like picked up meditation, like I'm here for this. So, um, I like it. So everyone just make sure you're celebrating the small wins of your time management. And I think the reason she put time management in this chapter was manage your energy so you can be at your best. So you can learn the most to be better at your position. So All right, Carrie, that concludes our chapter nine. Be a learner. If you guys are listening again, like go buy the book, Elena Aguilar onward series, cultivating emotional. It's called onward. I'm sorry. Cultivating emotional intelligence and educators. Uh, Great book comes with a a nice workbook. There's a ton of activities for this one as well to kind of get you going through the reflection process and different activities. So Carrie Douglas in the house. Thank you so much for being a guest again. Anytime. Okay. Bye. Welcome back to episode 25 of Conversations. In this episode, Carrie Douglas and I talk about the next chapter from the book Onward by Elena Aguilar. In this episode, we talk about chapter highlights like using inquiry and professional learning to recharge and reinvest in yourself, the implications of a conscious competence ladder, minding the learning gap, and a little about time management. Here's our conversation now.